0: Um. I, I've never said the following words in uh, all the years of pastoring this church, and that's thank you for being here. Um. But it's appropriate today. Um. I didn't realize that Tom Wharton was gonna. When did you fly in from Florida? Last time. Night. Last night. Okay. And I just texted yesterday, and here he is. Um, and I see a number of folks that I've known for so long. Folks that have been here um, from the early, early years of new community. And it's, um, it's great to see you. Um, today after the service is over. Um, I am going to do what I've always done. I'll take a deep breath, I'll go sit right by the cross, and I'll remind myself that my identity is not what I just did. My identity is who He is and who He tells me I am. Then I'll walk up to the front and I'll stand right here until the very last person that wants to say goodbye or prayer has had a chance to do that. Um, I was the last person to leave the building last week, turned off the lights and walked out and there was something good. Something felt good about that and I want to do the same today. I'd love it if I was the last person to walk out of here and i turn off the lights. Before I uh, share, staff. CC, Constance. Emily. Ruth. Thank you. Thank you. It has been a really long season of pain, confusion, and even hurt. And I've reminded you, church, all of these years that it is good to acknowledge that there is hurt and to invite God in the midst of that because that's the place where we meet Jesus more often than any other place. Uh, It was almost 20 years ago uh, that me and a group of 10 people, half of them college kids, some of them actually are here today, Uh, some of the others are joining us online. A group of 10 of us embarked on a journey, on a wild and crazy journey to plant, What we said at the time was a New Testament Acts type of church here in the city of Chicago. It was really a ragtag group of strangers we were at the time, who were frankly, and I say this with all love and feelings, we were a little too dumb and too naive to know what it is that we were getting ourselves into. These guys were willing to follow a young 30-year-old Korean pastor who had never planted a church, let alone a multi-ethnic church. They were young and naive, idealistic dreamers following another young, naive, idealistic dreamer. And the only thing that brought and bonded us together was this audacious, ridiculous belief that it was possible for us to be used by God to build a church that would, and you've heard this a thousand times, fully embody the whole gospel. One that would reconcile sinful humanity to a holy God. One that would reconcile sinful, messed up, broken people to other messed up, broken people. And then in turn move out into the world to be ambassadors of reconciliation. All we had in those early years wasn't money or a building or resources, certainly not experience, and definitely not a lot of people. All we had was a dream, lots of passion, hope, but most of all, faith. in a big God who could do a lot with very little. Faith in a big God who wasn't bound by our limits because we serve a God who is limitless, amen? Limitless in his compassion, limitless in his power, limitless in his love, limitless in his compassion. If I were to be honest with you guys, I really missed those early years of New Community because nothing was taken for granted. We literally had to trust and depend on God for everything. There were weeks when we didn't know if a single person was going to show up to a service. We didn't know if there was going to be enough offering or money to pay rent for the worship facility we were renting. We didn't even know if we'd survive. See, I didn't assume that new community would ultimately become what it became. Truth be told, I didn't even know if we we're actually going to survive the first two years when people say that 80% of all church plants fail. But we survived. No, actually, we did more than survive. We thrived. God used a new community over the course of about 20 years to impact thousands of lives to see Jesus differently to see the gospel differently and to see their life's purpose differently. God used this church to plant a sister church in Bronzeville that God is using powerfully. God used this church to plant churches in Seattle. Shout out Mike Thomas. I know you're listening in today. God used this church to plant church in Boston. Stephen Sharkey, we see you. God uses church to plant churches in Medellin, Colombia, and many other parts of the world. And you sitting here today and you listening online are witnesses, testimony to what God did through New Community. You. Over the course of our history, New Community went through a number of changes. We changed worship facilities four times. You guys know that? Four times before we found a home. There were many changes during our journey. Way too many to name. But there was always one constant. I've always been your pastor. For 20 years, I was your pastor. And some of you actually have been under my care for almost all of those years. But that's about to change. And change inevitably brings about transitions. Transitions. So as I prayed about what I wanted to share with you today, God gave me this little title, Finding God in Transitions. Finding God in Transitions. So in my last sermon, I want to share with you a word about how you both individually and more importantly, corporately, can experience God in the midst of what will feel uncertain, what will feel at times confusing, what will at times, for some of us, painful... But if you would invite God in the midst of this transition, he'll be right there with you. Doing something powerful in your life and in the life of this church. It's been said that there is one constant in life and that is that things change. You've heard that. To say it differently, transitions are an inevitable part of life. Some transitions we choose, but other transitions that are hard are thrust upon us, whether we like it or not. Webster's Dictionary defines transitions this way, the process or an instance of passing from one form or state or stage to another. And there are a number of transitions that you and I could relate to, right? They're physical transitions. Do you know what one of the greatest joys of my life pastoring this church has been? It's been seeing various physical transitions that happen right before my eyes. I love dedicating your babies and seeing them grow up to be toddlers and toddlers growing up to be children. And children growing up to be young adults. And young adults growing up to be adults. Some of you went through all of those changes here. And speaking of physical changes, some of you were a little skinnier and had a little more hair on your head. I'm looking at you, Nate Noonan. I'm looking at you, Mike Crable. And I'm looking at you too, Mark DeLue. I should stop here. (laughs) Physical transitions are an inevitable part of life. Then they're life-stage transitions, right? Pastoring a church for almost 20 years has enabled me to see many of you go through various life transitions as well. Some of you came here as college students college kids. You are like 18, 19 when I first met you. And it's here that you experience various life stage transitions as you transition from being single to being married and being married to being a parent for the first time, second time, third time, fourth time, some of us fifth time. And yeah, although there were many life transitions that were caused for celebration, some of our loved ones also experienced life-stage transitions that were incredibly difficult and painful. As our family members went from transitioning from being married to being divorced, and we walked with them, from having a house full of kids to being empty nesters, and we walk with them, from being with their beloved to being widowed, and we walk with them. Life transitions are also an inevitable part of life. Let me mention one more. I could keep going. Let me mention one more. For some of us, we experienced life transitions in the form of major career shift, where we ventured out from one field to another with much anxiety, but also with much hope for the future. Some of us took that jump, and we changed careers right in the middle of our 30s and 40s, and some of us in our 50s. And it wound up being the best decision we ever made. And then, of course, there were others of us. And if we're really honest, we're still not sure if we did the right thing when we made that transition. Career transitions, vocational transitions are also a big part of life. If there's one constant in life, it's this. Things change. Life is full of transitions. It's part of life. Now, guys, we all know this, right? Nobody's taking notes right now. Life is full of transitions. We all know this. So the question is this, if we know that the one constant in life is change, if we know that transitions are an inevitable part of life, why do we have such a hard time with them? Why do we struggle with transitions? I mean, aren't we prepared? We know it's coming. We know it'll happen someday. So why are we so bad at handling the various transitions in life? William Bridges wrote a book called Transitions Making Sense of Life's Changes. And in the book he breaks down transitions as having three key elements. And these elements not only shed light on why transitions are often so difficult to navigate, regardless of what those transitions are, but they also give us clues to how transitions can be redemptive and life-transforming and not crushing and debilitating. The first stage, he says, of transitions is what he calls endings. Endings. Every transition involves or entails an ending. You ever see a movie that you didn't want to end? Remember how you felt? The first thing that marks a transition is that something always comes to an end. This is why we struggle with transitions. Because endings are hard. Endings are difficult. Endings are confusing. There's deep and profound sense of real loss in endings. But the reality of life and the reality of nature is that everything comes to an end at some point. It's the great non-negotiable about life. Relationships come to an end. Ministries come to an end. Careers come to an end. Health comes to an end. And yeah, someday life comes to an end. Everything comes to an end at some point. And I just want to say to you, As your pastor, that part of the reason why this transition church family will be difficult is because something is coming to an end. 20 years of pastoring you is coming to an end. Endings are hard. But it's okay to name that. It's okay to mourn that. It's okay to grieve that. It's okay, it's okay. Interestingly, Bridges unpacks the nature of endings into these five areas, and some of these might be familiar to you. Often endings, for example, cause disengagement. What that is, is is we sense a separation from the familiar. There's also dismantling, where we feel like we're being taken apart one piece at a time. Also sometimes involves disengagement, where we experience death to our previous roles, but we're not sure who we are anymore, because that's gone. And there's disenchantment, that is what gave us life at one time, no longer gives us life. And then disorientation, where things that seem to be important to us at one time no longer seem all that important. Now, don't miss this. Bridges makes the powerful case, please pay attention, that more important than the external change and endings is the internal ability to let go of what no longer fits. More important than the external change and endings, which are gonna happen all the time, is our ability internally to let go of what no longer fits so that something new can be birthed. And I'll come back to that in a second. Endings. First stage. Then the second stage of Marcel transitions is what he calls chaos. The in-between stage, the no man's land between the old way of being and the new that's yet emerged. And it's what Walter Brigham I've taught you calls seasons of disorientation in the book of Psalms, seasons of emptiness and chaos and meaninglessness and confusion, seasons in life when the bottom falls out and you and I wonder, where is God? It's the Saturday between Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. The Saturday, when you and I feel doubt, resentment, isolation, despair. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? And can I just state the obvious? None of us would struggle with endings. If God would just show us now what the new beginning is. Can I get an amen? You know what I'm talking about? If God would just, if God, we would not struggle so much with closed doors. If God would immediately go, that door's closed, there's the new one. But does it ever work that way? It almost never works that way, does it? Endings more oftentimes than not often come without any clarity for what the new is going to be. I wonder if anybody is in that season of life right now. So what do we do? You do what I've taught you for years to do. You do what godly men and women have done for hundreds, thousands of years, and that is you wait on the Lord. Psalm 37, seven, be still before the Lord and you wait patiently before him. I've taught you that far from being passive, waiting on the Lord is what? Hopeful expectancy, hopeful expectancy, like a watchman on the tower who's leaning and straining for that morning sun that's gonna pierce the darkness. It's coming. Waiting on the Lord is anchored in the rock solid truth that our God is good, our God is faithful, our God is true, and He is just as much at work in the midst of the chaos. He is just as much at work in that Saturday as He is on Friday and on Sunday. Don't forget... His silence is not absence. His hiddenness is not abandonment. Where is God in the chaos? Right there in the midst of it. With you. With you. Right in the middle of the transition. If anyone is going through what feels like an unbearable transition right now. If anyone's experiencing what seems like unending Saturday, whatever you're going through, my last reminder, do not allow circumstances to determine whether God is at work. Circumstances do not corroborate God's goodness, God's love, or God's wisdom. That thing right there corroborates God's goodness, God's wisdom, and God's love. By the way, Tom Wharton built that cross. The cross corroborates God's love and goodness. When circumstances cause you and me to doubt God's love and goodness, we look to the cross and remember that out of the greatest evil came the greatest good. God transforms all evil into good without diminishing the awfulness of the evil. God never wastes a hurt. God brings real good out of things that look real bad. What looked like the worst thing in human history was really the best thing. What looked like the saddest goodbye in the world two days later was the most joyful hello in the history of And that means that God has really good things in store for you. Wherever you have been, whatever you have experienced, whatever loss, whatever hurt, whatever tragedy, God will not waste any of it. In the economy of God, nothing, I mean nothing is ever wasted. So you wait, church, remembering that profound transformation happens in the waiting. Wait on the Lord, remembering that God often does his greatest, his deepest, most powerful life-transforming work in that. during that time than any other time in our lives it's often in the chaos of transitions that our faith is stretched and we look down to see am i standing on solid rock or am i building my life on sinking sand It's in the chaos of transitions that you and I will ask these questions that we never ask until chaos comes. Do I really believe that a loving God is in control of all the details of my life? Do I really believe that His grace is sufficient to get me through the day? Do I really believe that the gospel is powerful enough not just to save me from eternity, but to sustain me and strengthen me in the midst of transitions? Do I really believe that Jesus is enough to satisfy the deepest longings of my heart. Transitions will cause you and me to work through these questions. And we'll begin to see a God who cares more about our transformation than our comfort. He cares more about your transformation than your comfort. He cares more about your transformation than your comfort. So rather than giving us a life of comfort in these, it's in the midst of chaos that God will show you and me what we need more than anything else, and that is himself. Himself. And finally, the third stage of transitions is what Bridges calls beginnings, endings, chaos, beginnings. Everything comes to an end at some point. It's the great non-negotiable about living this side of heaven. But the good news is that you and I are never more fertile soil than when things come to an end. Why? And I could preach this for the rest of my life, because for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, we know for certain that after every death, there is always a resurrection. This is at the heart of the Christian faith, John 12, 24, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new, new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new, new lives. There is always life after death, friends. Endings always give birth to something new. It may not happen tomorrow. It may not happen next week or even next month. But I promise you, Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And after every death, there is always a resurrection. Hold on to that. After every ending, there is always something new waiting to be birthed. There is something new that God wants to birth in your life. There is something new that God wants to birth in this church. Remember what I said earlier? More important than the external change is the internal ability to let go of what no longer fits so that something new can be birthed. So, my question to you is what new things might God want to birth in your life? And what do you need to let go? What do you need to surrender? One more Parker Palmer quote. One more. I was going to quote him and Henry Nowen and Thomas Merton and all these other, but one more Parker Palmer quote. Each time a door closes, the rest of the world opens up. All we need to do is to stop pounding on that door that just closed. Turn around and welcome the largeness of life that now lies open to your souls. What closed door is before you now that may be your loving Heavenly Father's way of redirecting you to something new? You and I have a choice, church. We could fight or we could surrender. You can out of fear try to maintain control and fight endings and resent the endings or you could trust Him and surrender and allow God to birth something new. Let endings birth new beginnings. Endings truly must come first for God's new beginnings to come forth. What chapter might be ending in your life right now? What new chapter might God be writing in your life? What closed doors are you facing today? And what would it look like for you to stubbornly stop Pounding on that door, turn around so that you can welcome the new thing that God wants to birth. What is God asking you to let go? And surrender. So, new community, as you embark on this transition, this journey that you've never experienced before, here's my final pastoral word for your journey ahead. I am terrible. At goodbyes. That's not my final word. I am terrible at goodbyes. I've been a pastor at three other stops before I got here and pastored this church for 20 years, and those people will tell you he is terrible at goodbyes. But I'm realizing as I get a bit older and hopefully a little bit wiser that to say goodbye well, thoughtfully, honestly, and from the heart with love is very important in honoring sacred relationships. So as I thought about how to say goodbye, well, what do you think the first thing I did was? I went to the Bible, of course, come on. I thought, what does the Bible have to say about goodbye? And do you know what the Bible has to say about goodbye? Nothing. You don't find goodbye in the Bible. There's no theology of goodbye in the Bible. And there's actually a good reason for why from Genesis to Revelation, nobody ever says goodbye. I did a little research, and did you know that the word goodbye in the English language evolved around the 16th century as a contraction from the phrase, God be with ye. God be with you. For centuries before that, when people were departing, they didn't say, hey, I'm leaving. It wasn't just information, you see. It was a prayer. It was a heartfelt wish. It was a benediction and invocation. Instead of giving information about your departure, you prayed for the people. While I cannot be with you, may God be with you. It's not a goodbye. It's may God be with you. About 150 years ago, Jeremy Rankin, a hymn writer, learned that that was the origin of the word goodbye, and so he wrote a hymn called God be with you till we meet again. First stanza, God be with you till we meet again. By his counsel's guide, uphold you. With his sheep, securely fold you. God be with you till we meet again. And he wrote the hymn so that every week in that little church, when people would leave every Sunday, they could sing those words over each other. Not goodbye, but God be with you. God be with you. And it was so powerful that when World War I came, they would put those words on a postcard and send them with soldiers when they would have to travel overseas and go into battle and possibly die. It's not goodbye. It's God be with you. So even though you don't find the word goodbye, this phrase, God be with you, is found all over the scriptures. Paul often ended his letters to the church with this prayer, this benediction. For example, Paul ends his letter to the church in Thessalonica this way. 2 Thessalonians 3:16, "Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. May the Lord be with you." My body may be gone, but my love remains. It's not goodbye, it's God be with you. And of course Jesus, when he's leaving his disciples for the final time, he doesn't say goodbye. In Matthew, he tells them this magnificent charge which now comes to you. Matthew 28, 18, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, and go and make disciples of all nations. New community. Go and make disciples of all nations. New community. Go and make disciples of all nations. This is why we exist. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he says what? Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I will be with you always to the very end of the age. I'm not abandoning you, friends. I'm not deserting you. My body may be gone, but my love remains. It's not goodbye. It's may God be with you. So as you journey this unfamiliar path, I say this as my final reminder to you. May God be with you. Because if God is with you, you could handle anything. And nothing else matters. And by the way, if God is not with you, then nothing else matters. May God be with you. Jesus says in John 16, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart because I've overcome the world. And the one who conquered sin and death and the one who has overcome the world says, Isaiah 43, 2, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, I will be with you. When you pass through the fire, I will not leave you. I will not abandon you. I will be with you. There's no situation in which Jesus will not be present if you want him there, if you invite him in. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. So invite him in. Invite him in. So today, church, I don't say goodbye. I say may God be with you. May God be with you, new community, as you passionately love Jesus Christ. Here come the three Cs. Passionately love Jesus Christ. Keep your eyes firmly fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Love Jesus. Love Jesus. Love Jesus. Do not love justice more than you love Jesus. Do not love justice more than you love Jesus. We do not worship justice. We worship Jesus. Please don't get that twisted things will go sideways very quickly if we lose sight of the fact that we do not worship justice. We worship Jesus. The end goal isn't just to change our world. The end goal is that His name will be hallowed and that His kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. Love Jesus, church. Let your communion with Jesus precede your work for Jesus. Do not be so focused on your calling that you neglect your relationship with your caller. You cannot give what you do not possess. You cannot give out of an empty, empty heart change the people ultimately change the world God be with you as you passionately love Jesus Christ God be with you as you engage in authentic community the real measure of our lives will not be all the stuff that we obtain the goals that we achieve the successes we acquire none of those things will matter at the end The real measure of our lives were the people whose lives we've touched, the people we've loved and who loved us, the people you and I took time to invest in. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. It's better to adjust your pace than to walk alone. Life well lived isn't about who walks the fastest, but who has the most people walking with him or her. Community is what hurts you. Community is what will heal. God be with you as you engage in authentic community, and lastly, God be with you, new community, as you radically advance the cause of Christ. Live for something bigger than you. Live for something bigger than just you. Live for something bigger than just you. We have one life to live, and just a few years at that, we fool ourselves into thinking we have more time than we actually do, but as James says, we are like a mist that appears in the morning and is gone a few hours later. What you and I do with the time that we have, the few years we have on planet Earth, depends on us. Our greatest fear in life should not be that we would fail, but that we will devote our entire lives to something that does not matter. We can choose to spend a few years this side of heaven living for ourselves, which I promise you will lead to emptiness and despair where we can choose to spend that time living for others, which will lead to fullness and joy. So God be with you, new community. City within a city. An alternate Chicago. A family from every people, tribe, tongue, and nation. This is the kingdom right here. God be with you so that you can love the least of these. God be with you so that you could embrace the most excluded. God be with you so that you can remember and care for the unseen, the unnoticed, the unwanted, the untouchable, the unfed, and the unhoused, that they will find a home here and a family in you. They're longing for it. New community, may God be with you. As you remember that you've been given the greatest cause in the world, and that is the love of God. So, as you go to make disciples of all nations, when it gets hard, when you face opposition, when you face ridicule, when you face difficulties, when you face forces that threaten or intimidate you, don't be afraid. Don't ever be afraid. Because He said He'll go with you. He'll go with you. So live with courage. Live with courage. It's not a goodbye. It's may God be with you. My body will be gone, but my love remains. Thank you for 20 years the privilege and the honor of serving you.